0: Welcome to the DigiDay Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week, joined by Gary Liu. Gary is the CEO of the South China Morning Post. Gary, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, so you're, uh, you're obviously in Hong Kong right now. Um, for those of us in, in the United States or in, in Europe, where we're just starting to come out, give us the situation there when it comes to um, you know, emerging from coronavirus, both the society and then let's talk about the economy.
1: Yeah, society is largely back to normal here in Hong Kong. Uh, a lot of people are, well, most people are actually back in their offices. And most of the businesses are reopened, whether it's restaurants or bars, nightlife, uh, retail stores, everyone has a mask on. But in general, the city has has largely returned back to normal. Schools are in operation as well across the city. So it definitely feels different than a couple months ago. And we're thankful that Uh, containment was fast that uh that you know contact tracing all of those things worked and we were able to limit the impact of Mm -hmm. the virus here in the city
0: like what's the scarring been like on the economic um side because you know here i think obviously we're having outbreaks in the south and the west and it looks like we're going to have we're going to be in this for a while um it it looks like and so there's very few people who left who who would think about this v-shaped recovery um how has the economy come back i know i saw before that you know you you guys saw like about a 50 percent drop i believe in ad revenue in the first quarter so economic activity is coming is coming back online like what's the lag with recovery
1: there is definitely a lag the the economy here uh, is still nowhere near what normal looks like and do remember that hong kong not only went through several months of COVID-19 related shutdown, but for uh, six, seven months prior to that, uh, had the social unrest um, and and the Hong Kong protests actually shut down big swaths of the consumer economy here in Hong Kong. Um, And specifically for the news industry, for any media industry that relies on advertising, uh, the primary advertising verticals here in Hong Kong were impacted by both the protests as well as COVID-19 because because they're, they're very um the, the the key industry the key uh, advertising verticals are retail, uh, largely tourism driven retail, F&B mm-hmm. uh, and, and the actual you know the industry of tourism itself and those industries effectively have been shut down for at this point nearly a year.
0: Okay, so you're still kind of in it to some degree on, Absolutely. on the economic front.
1: Because the 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 confidence that is going to be uh, well, the confidence in the industry, uh, the confidence in the economy, all of that is going to come back when tourism returns to some degree. Right now, there are other areas of economy that have not been impacted at all, like the financial sector. Um, to some degree, real estate, although rents have come down a little bit, like everywhere else in the world, but these, these, this consumer economy is still largely gone. Um, and until there is free flow travel in and out of the city, whether it is tourism travel or business travel, uh, there are still going to be chunks missing from from uh, mm-hmm. from the marketplace.
0: But you still have, do, do you have travel from mainland China? No,
1: it's still shut down. The travel bubble uh, with mainland China has not started. No one knows when it's actually going to open. Uh, the recurrence of coronavirus in some of the major cities in China, including mm-hmm. in Beijing recently, has actually slowed down the effort to reopen the borders.
0: Um, so let's talk about you going to South China Morning Post, and I want to talk about a little bit about the history of it. Um, you, you went there three and a half years ago. Um, what, what attracted you to it? I mean, you had been a dig. You've worked at, at, at Google, AOL, I believe, like in other uh, places. What, mm-hmm. what, what did you see there that was interesting to you?
1: It was a very, very unique opportunity, uh, a world-class news brand. That had a new owner who was committing publicly to pouring money into the news organization.
0: This is Jack Ma.
1: This is uh, Alibaba. Jack did not buy the, Alibaba. Uh, yeah, it was okay. it's the it's the company. Um,
0: it's the company, not so. This is not like a Jeff Bezos situation.
1: It's not quite. Yes, it's uh, not the same. Um, the individual did okay. not acquire the company. Uh, it was the it was the yeah, the, the corporation that okay. did. Uh, and the South China Money Post has, for well over a century, been covering a story that over the course of the last you know, X number of years has become arguably the most important story in the world, the rise of China and its impact on the rest of the globe. And so because of all of those things together, I just thought, if I have an opportunity to, to take what I've learned in a career uh, in, the, in the digital internet marketplace and try and apply those learnings to a traditional news organization... Uh, that I believe is very, very important. Why not give it a shot? And that's what led me to Hong Kong.
0: So w- when you got there from from the US, what was the big like something that you a misconception that you had? Because, you know, I think there's there's obviously tons of misconceptions um from the US with China, um, and some even vice versa. Um for sure. Yeah. But 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 tell me the like one that was like eye opening to you.
1: I think the big one is that uh, China is complicated. I know that's an understatement, but the complexity of it means that a lot of things we see as monolithic or singular from the United States uh, are not. For instance, the Communist Party is not really just one person telling the party and therefore the country what to do. Uh, there, are, there are arguments and there are disagreements and there are, there's all sorts of back, background, behind-the-scenes movement uh, mm-hmm. to get to what is expressed as a singular opinion, uh, but that is uh, that by itself actually tells a, there's a, you know, a complex and extremely fascinating story about how a uh, 1.5 billion person country is is, uh, is run and governed. So, so yeah. it's the, the, those. I mean, organizing
0: that's got to be pretty difficult. I mean, I think Mike Bloomberg got into trouble for something that I don't really think he should have when when he was basically saying, uh, I think he was saying like Xi Jinping, like actually does have to be responsive to a constituent. He has a constituency. Whereas, I think everyone from the US standpoint wants to say he's a dictator.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, the best uh, example of this most recently uh, was the NBA and China kerfuffle. Uh, yeah. the, the reality was that this anti-MBA movement actually started grassroots. It started uh, because the netizens in China raised their voice and said, we're not okay with this. And, uh, and very honestly, early on, I think the government didn't want to touch it. They knew how important the NBA was to China. They didn't want to get into it considering that they were fighting a trade war on one front. And, uh, but because the voice got so loud that the internet, the, those netizens got so loud, uh, the government ended up having to react and, and we, we know what that reaction led to.
0: Right. So let's talk about South China Morning Post, English language paper. Um, as you said, like it's it's been around since 1903. It was owned by News Corp. It's got a long, long history. Um, we don't have to go through the entire history of, of Hong Kong, but you know, Hong Kong obviously was a was a British colony for for what 150 years, I think, and and then the handover took place in 1997. It, explain the role that South China Morning Post has played. Historically, and then what at this point in time is the role that it's going to play? Because we'll get into the layers of complication about where Hong Kong is right now.
1: Well, The Post uh, in 1903 was founded uh, by a a British newspaper man and an Australian-raised Chinese revolutionary. Um, And the combination of the two was extremely interesting. (laughs) Uh, The Chinese revolutionary. It is very, (laughs) very unique. Uh, The Chinese Revolutionary was part of this group that wanted to overthrow the Qing dynasty. And he wanted to tell the world about what was happening in southern China because he believed it was important. The British newspaper man, as far as we can tell, uh, believed that story was important, but also wanted to be a number one um, at a an English language newspaper in Hong Kong at that point. There were two other competitors. And that's what they 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 set out to do. So the post when it was founded. Uh, the first thing that this company ever bought was actually a boat. It wasn't It wasn't a printing press. We didn't even have a printing press. When we bought a boat, just so that the fresh newspapers could be sat in a steam launch, and then uh, they could go out to the clippers that were docked in, or, were anchored in Victoria Harbor, and then the news was meant to be taken uh, via the trade routes all over the world. So that's how the post started. Now, of course, over this, the this course This is an of- early
0: example of why it's important for publishers to own distribution.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's a little bit different <laughs> now, right? Um, but yes, a little bit. Yeah, that, that importance has never gone away, and we've just kind of swandered it over time. Um, <laughs> uh, over time, the importance of Hong Kong by itself as a city uh, rose. And with it uh, came this extremely important role of being the newspaper record, at least English language newspaper record for Hong Kong. As Hong Kong developed into one of the world's great ports and trading cities uh, to one of the great uh, financial centers, uh, to one of the great cultural centers, um, one of the great real estate centers, and I would argue uh, one of the great innovation centers now. The South China Morning Post has covered all of those changes. We've mm-hmm. also covered the changes in governance, not only in the city, but in all of the places that surround us, because Hong Kong is a tiny place. It relies on on everything around us. It relies on, certainly on the mainland, uh, but a lot of the other countries that are surrounding Hong Kong uh, for trade and for uh, for for innovation and growth. And so the SCMP has covered this part of the world for, for that long. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, over the course of the last 20 years, even more so in the last 10 years, even more so in the last 12 months, uh, the great story of the world uh, is China and everything China does that changes every facet of you know people's lives around the globe. And so the Post has really focused our energy and our resources into reporting on China for the entire world.
0: But it's been for Hong Kongers, not, I mean, like, but be like, cause it is English language. It's not Cantonese or anything like, so it's English language and, but it's for the, the people of Hong Kong, not necessarily for, but, and expatriates. Obviously a lot of people have, have lived in, in Hong Kong that are not originally from Hong Kong. You for yeah. instance.
1: Um, so the, the post has always been English and today, yeah. We have the largest English-language-speaking population that Hong Kong has ever had, but that's still only, let's call it, a little over 2 million people out of a city population of 7.5. Never been the majority, but they have been the power brokers. So during colonial times, this was the paper that reported on and for uh, everything that the British governor did. And so the government ran off of the pages of the South China Morning Post, was held mm-hmm. to account by the pages of the South China It was Morning for the
0: elites, Post. right? It was
1: mm-hmm. for the elites, yeah. And then yeah. even as a, as a governance language has somewhat changed, uh, the, the power brokers of the city have remained primarily English language, obviously in business, uh, but also in, in consumption. And now increasingly, we are speaking to the Anglosphere all around the world who are trying to understand this city as well as the country that it belongs to
0: So let's talk about that because I mean, Hong Kong, from my understanding, again, it's not like deep, (laughs) but the attraction of Hong Kong from, um, from people from outside of China was that it was, it was a window into China, but it wasn't China. Like a lot of companies set up there prior to a lot of the, the sort of, you know, accelerated reforms going on because it was kind of China, but not China. Right. Um, now there's been a lot going on right now that is is changing. I mean, it's hard to get on the front page of like, of, of newspapers these days. It's very competitive. There's a lot going on here, um, but there's a lot obviously about um, what is going on in China and the the protest movement that started with the umbrella movement. Um, and then last year, um, mm-hmm. it exploded again over this national security law. Um, we don't have to get into all of the sort of nuances and details with extradition and everything like this. But the long and the short of it is, it seems like a very pivotal time of deciding what Hong Kong is going to become, like whether it will remain this unique place or whether it's going to become another Chinese city.
1: So so yes, yes, yes. But there is a piece <laughs> that is missing. Um Even Yes, people have had interest in Hong Kong over the course of the last few decades because it is kind of an I.O. port for China. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Hong Kong has its own merits that are extremely important. Uh, It is the freest economy in the world still. It is one of the great um, exchanges of the world. The, The Hong Kong stock exchange is extremely important to the free flow of capital and to global investment, not just because. Uh, there are Chinese companies on the exchange. We're talking about global markets that run through Hong Kong. That that trade port is not just about exporting uh, to China or importing from China. A lot of the other countries uh, and economies in this part of the world rely on passage through not only the seaport but also the airport. And in and of itself, Hong Kong is also a great tourism city. In fact, it is the city with the most number of tourists on an annual basis until, of course, the last 12 months. So Hong Kong by itself is fascinating. Mm
0: -hmm. As
1: a kind of canary in the coal mine at times or a bellwether for China's leadership of the world, it becomes even more interesting. So yes, what has happened in the last 12 months has really reignited people's interest and fascination with Hong Kong because it has been so loud and has seemed so relevant for everyone that's
0: watching. It, but I mean, the, the protests are basically about the future of Hong Kong, like like what Hong Kong, what role it plays and, and the role particularly the mainland pl- plays in the affairs of China. I mean, because yes, it is the freest commercial, but like if you don't have a free judiciary... You're gonna like Western companies are already you know plenty of them are moving to Singapore because you know when they don't have when they have uncertainty about like you know the capriciousness of a judicial system that might all of a sudden make decisions on political um, means then then they they don't want any part of that. So what is the role that you see? I mean, it sounds like you're saying like you know South China Morning Post has always been you know there's always you're always going to be caught in between the two. <laughs> two sides it seems like right like
1: well I mean, our role is pretty simple it hasn't has never changed it is to do our very best to report objectively on what's happening uh today on the ground in and around us and, yeah. and you are right right this is an existential moment for hong kong um the future of governance of this city the future of the judiciary of the city the future of the freedoms that this city has enjoyed uh since 1997 all of those things are tbd uh, and our job is to make sure that the world sees every side of this um, and, and mm-hmm. has access to the full truth.
0: And I get the sense—I mean—and and just in reading it, like, I mean, you're not—you probably get caught between, you know, the the the, the pro Beijing side and the the Hong Kong for Hong Konger side, and nobody's happy with you.
1: Yeah, that's exactly is that the right. goal. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's so much the goal, but that's the reality: is that because of the editorial ethics that has already always existed in this newspaper and the way that we do journalism, uh, both sides are generally unhappy with us. Um, and, and I think that in a polarized society like this, it probably is an indicator that we've gotten it right.
0: Yeah. You don't want to go to one side or the other. So talk to me about like the Alibaba ownership. I mean, obviously, you know, that comes news is a difficult business anywhere these days. Um, and particularly, uh, when advertising is a big source of revenue, um, explain to me the opportunities that like being owned by like a gigantic, massive entity like Alibaba. Um, but also it comes with its own risks.
1: So the opportunities are pretty clear. Uh, This is a company that has the resources to invest in journalism properly in this moment where actually money is needed to cross the chasm. We have to build the right technologies, we have to hire the right people, and we need to have patience because none of these new, whether it is revenue channels, businesses, audiences, they they don't grow overnight. Uh, And so Alibaba has committed to it and because of their profitability, they're, they're able to have the patience that's mm-hmm. that's positive. the positive the negative is much more on the reputational side i think that there is an immediate assumption that because alibaba is a chinese company uh, that they are going to meddle in editorial and that has never been the case it was not it was very publicly discussed and adjudicated when the acquisition happened um four plus years ago now and over the course of the last four years for me the last three and a half years there hasn't been a single instance of owner stepping into the newsroom or dictating what the newspaper covers, uh, mm-hmm. and so we feel very pleased that they've held to that promise of editorial independence while continuing to invest in um, in the newsroom.
0: Why would Alibaba want to own a newspaper? That's a
1: really good question. Uh, I've <laughs> they never told the, you? <laughs> I've asked the owners of this, and uh, and it's, it's it's somewhat personal. I mean, our chairman is uh, Joe Tsai, so everyone talks about Jack Ma. Joe's our chairman, yeah. Joe's uh, Jack's co-founder, and uh, he has been a 20 plus year resident of Hong Kong yeah. uh, and is a huge, is a lover of news. He owns the Nets too. And he knows the, <laughs> the, the the South China Morning Post backwards and forwards and truly believes in the purpose of this newspaper and the importance of this newspaper at this moment in time. And I think he believed that he could play a role in reviving uh, this news organization and, and has done exactly that.
0: And, and he's been kind of vocal about like, cause he sort of has one foot in both. So he understands the U S side and, 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 um, and the Chinese side, I think. Um, and, He's he's sort of, you know, been able to, like, talk to Americans and sort of is like, maybe you don't understand everything that you think you understand. So maybe he sees that role, I guess, for the South China Morning Post. What is the role, do you think, that it can play with? Obviously, there's a lot of tensions between the U.S. and China right now. I think, you know, look, the people who are anti-Trump, like, are against him on just about every single thing and 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 on china a lot of them agree like mm-hmm. that that the the values just simply don't align and that uh the the idea of a peaceful rise is kind of ridiculous and that they're going to be a competitor to us at best um what is the role you think that can that 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 the south china morning post can play as we sort of also figure out the 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 role of 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 china and I don't know if the U.S. is still the other power. Who knows these <laughs> days?
1: <laughs> well, uh, when it comes to American, our American audience, which, by the way, is, is over a third of our audience at this point, uh, I think our role is twofold. Uh, the first is providing a comprehensive story. We are one of the largest reporting cores in China. Of course, we have a you know, big newsroom, the majority of whom are based in Hong Kong. Uh, and, and this is a Chinese city. We have access To sources and information and both the nuance and the texture of the story but we also have a 50 person reporting team in mainland china which is larger than any other global newspaper i I think Mm -hmm. it's larger than any other global newspaper and so we're able to report a lot more than uh, a lot of the other news organizations so the, the information we can provide on any given story whether it is the coronavirus or the trade war or the rise of technologists in China, we can provide it in, in more comprehensive form, more stories, more understanding, uh, deeper insight and analysis. The second role we play is really to, to provide a, um, an alternative voice when it comes to uh, opinion. Now, to be clear, it doesn't mean we don't have the quote unquote Western American voice of opinion. Our opinion pages are very, very balanced. We have those. But those same opinions can be read in many of the newspapers that I grew up reading in the United States. Uh, but the other side of that op-ed argument that we also have in our op-ed section and our op-eds pages, that side of the argument is often unheard in the U.S. And we hope that providing mm-hmm. that that insight will allow folks to have a more balanced view of what is actually happening and what uh, you know, a lot of the growth drivers or what a lot of the dissent is really about in this part of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, give me any, uh, like a recent example.
1: Um Gosh, There's so, there, there oh, are, something there, where, I mean,
0: there, look, we're, we're reading like the New York Times and we're reading like the Wall Street Journal and stuff like this. And it's, it's, it's foreign correspondent reporting from, from that, that part of the world. And there's um, nothing wrong
1: with it. Uh, foreign correspondent No, but reporting it's a particular viewpoint. I think the technology world.
0: As someone who came from the outside into like uh, a place, you know, you have a different viewpoint than the people who uh, have been there their entire lives. Yeah. And
1: actually instead of using technology, which is I think too easy of an answer. Uh, okay. Let, let me take the Hong Kong protests as an example. The Hong Kong protests were and still are much more complicated than just single issue. It is a movement that has had its roots over the course of multiple decades and, and, and reached a, a kind of boiling over point because of an extradition bill uh, last year. And the protests themselves actually represented many different opinions uh, and many different hopes for the city of Hong Kong, just the same way as the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States represents many opinions and many points of view. Yeah. So I think that when, if we read just global foreign correspondent reporting about the Hong Kong protests, it might boil it down to the most important, and I'm not saying it's wrong, it, it is the most important uh, call and the most important point of these protests, but it does not flesh out everything else that's in the periphery. And that periphery matters. It matters to to understand Hong Kong's complexity, uh, why people felt so necessary to step into the streets in the millions and call for change in governance. Um, How we got to a point where there's an entire generation of folks that feel deeply disenfranchised, even though there is, ironically, more voting power today in Hong Kong than there was during colonial times. So all of those nuances... Uh, need to be examined to actually to, to understand the full story
0: right we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor so let's talk a little bit about the business model i mean you have to make money right
1: yes we do that's Absolutely. the goal okay <laughs> uh, that's it's, <laughs> okay. The, it's the only way long term to, to to ensure and protect editorial independence
0: okay so when alibaba bought um south china morning post they took down the paywall Yes, they do. That, that sounds crazy these days. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> what's, the, what's the idea? What's the idea there?
1: The goal is simple. The, the transformation of the post is not just a printed digital transformation. That's just a means to an end. The transformation yeah. was about taking the post from being a Hong Kong newspaper serving primarily just Hong Kong people to being a global media company that serves the world. And so taking down the paywall was necessary to grow that reach. Uh, people who don't know the brand, who don't uh, you know, on face value, understand the importance of a rising China. This is, of course, before trade war and COVID nineteen and everything else that's going on. Yeah, um, we're not going to pay ten dollars or the equivalent per month for the South China Morning Post. So we, we, Alibaba did. I wasn't even here at that point. Made the hard decision mm-hmm. to take down the paywall and invest in audience growth. And what that has led to, along with a lot of investment in technology, in uh, distribution and product building, and in people. What what had, that has led to was a four mil, from four million monthly active users when the paywall came down to fifty plus million monthly active users just a couple of months ago, and that growth would have been impossible if the paywall mm-hmm. was up.
0: Now, in, in most uh, is is the largest part of your audience obviously outside of Hong Kong
1: by far. Right. Hong, Hong Kong's that, audience there's not that many is, people in Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's two and a half million right at a hundred percent penetration of the addressable marketplace. there's two and a half million. So the rest of the forty-seven and a half million are outside of Hong Kong. And so has that changed?
0: I'm sorry, has that changed like the actual content? Like, I mean, trying to trying to balance the the you know, are you covering it? You know, are you covering stories for for Hong Kongers, or are you covering stories for like Hong Kongers and for some elites in mainland China and people in in the region, or are you covering it for like people? In New York or whatever, in San Francisco, who, you know, have, you know, particular interests in this part of the world and where it's going.
1: It definitely has changed, but thankfully it's been largely incremental. So our local desk has stayed pretty much the same size over the course of the last several years. What we've been able to add is an additional hundred people to the newsroom to cover everything to do with China, from the China political economy to China internal politics, international diplomacy, and, of course, technology. And, and increasingly Chinese culture as well, because it's become a fountainhead of a lot of cultural movements around the world. And, uh, and so the, the, the overall mix of stories has definitely changed. It is about a thousand stories a week about China and Hong Kong together, the vast majority of them for the world about what's happening in China. But thankfully, most of that has been incremental. We've also changed the way that we write. Previously, like you, like you said, we were writing for insiders. So a lot of mm-hmm. the context we assumed People already knew, so we don't have to explain who Xi Jinping is, and that's a bad example because everyone knows. But folks that are other folks that are on the Politburo Standing Committee in in Beijing, or uh, political figures here in Hong Kong, we never had to explain the context when we we're referring to moments in Chinese or Hong Kong history. We didn't have to explain the significance. Increasingly, we know we're writing for a global audience, so that context is being inserted into the news copy. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, again, people can have a more comprehensive understanding.
0: And I would guess that ideally expands your advertiser base.
1: Ideally, it does, because the audience (laughs) is global. But as you know, uh, growing an advertising base requires local market, not only knowledge, but local market presence. And that's something we haven't actually been able to build yet. Our single largest audience marketplace is the United States. The American audiences are, are about a third of our monthly audience, uh, but we do not have a sales, an advertising sales operation in the United States yet. And so, our, you know, introducing ourselves to American advertisers that has to happen remotely, and it's it's much much harder to do business that way. Mm-hmm. So we're earning our way to, uh, earning our way there.
0: But most of that is programmatic, I would guess. You monetize most of the non. Region, I don't know how you describe it, but like the non-regional visitors through programmatic
1: today, it is. Uh, yeah, programmatic is not going to pay for high-quality journalism.
0: Uh, not not likely. So so you gotta uh, build a direct business. Um, what um what are the biggest categories? I mean, you mentioned tourism, retail. I would guess finance too. Maybe not.
1: Yes, finance. Um, obviously, you know, private wealth finances, banks, um, IPOs, actually, they're still, they, they advertise in our, in our newspaper as well as digitally. Uh, so yeah, so those are the key verticals for us. There are a lot of non-endemic advertisers now finding their way to news because uh, news, well, actually content uh, suitability and safety matters uh, a lot now. Uh, and of course, News organizations like ours, because we have one-on-one relationships with our users, we have we're able to have a lot of first-party data, and so that actually has allowed our ad stack to serve uh, more complicated use cases and more advanced advertisers. So, so, so folks that are looking for better places to put their brand are coming to to the South China Morning Post as an example. And we're we're happy to help them.
0: So, the the business model is almost entirely advertising. Yes.
1: Today it is. It won't be like that forever. It it can't be like that forever. So just like everyone else, we are in process of reinventing what business looks like for the post. Of course, reader revenue is on our roadmap and COVID-19 has only accelerated our plans to uh, build a product that is worth the value exchange, direct value exchange with our readers. virtual events. Our events business was well-established, but we were talking about 10 events a year. This year, we're going to do 40 events this year uh, because it's so much easier to put on an event virtually, uh, and there's revenue to be made there. We have established Mm -hmm. a new knowledge vertical. It is effectively taking our subject matter expertise and packaging it together for insiders. It's almost a B2B product. Uh, Not every news organization can do that because not every news organization has that truly truly unique deep expertise but we happen to have it and it's one that corporates are willing to pay for Um, and then on the advertising side we just have to get better with ads we have to like i said use first party data properly build personas in a way that uh that that are truly targetable that are understandable we have to level up so that we can compete against networks
0: okay so right so Tell me about this knowledge vertical. That sounds like an interesting, because I mean, y- you took down the, uh, you didn't, but like, uh, um, uh, the company took down the paywall in 2016. So I, I would think that the, the option is not like, oh, let's just put up the paywall because the entire strategy is premised on opening up to a much larger audience. So you're trying to sort of balance both, keep the, keep the much bigger audience, same time drive rever- reader revenue. So I, uh, I'm guessing that that involves creating a, a different product, if you will, or like an offshoot of the product.
1: So, so yes and no. Uh, I'll address the no part because it's easy to address. Um, okay. Our goal of taking down the paywall was to grow to a certain scale, and we have far exceeded that scale already. So it's it's about when is the right time? When do we believe we have the right product for us to ask? audiences, some audiences around the world, uh, to start paying for the South China Morning Post again. And that is actually going to come sooner rather than later, I think.
0: Oh, okay. So you can go back to we like, can go uh, back. a similar... Paid yeah. model.
1: Well, first of all, the world is a very different place than it was four yeah. years ago. Right. Not only well,
0: paywalls are even different now. It's not an all or nothing. You can have a dynamic paywall. You can give people five. You can five articles free. You can target certain yeah. segments versus other segments.
1: Yeah. So, so, so those three things, the, the, the importance of the story that we cover is different. Uh, paywall technology itself is different. And propensity and willingness to pay for news is also very, very different than four years ago. So I do think that this is the right time for us to explore and to experiment and to ask our readers, hey, are you willing to start paying for some of our news uh, again? But the knowledge vertical itself is meant to be incremental to that. Um, And it is meant to be different because there is a deep insight and expertise that the Post has that is very, very unique. Uh, And so what I'm talking about is like, Again, take, take tech, for instance. I think that most technologists in the United States, people who work in the tech industry can probably paint in broad strokes why the China tech industry is interesting. They'll say that it's very, very large. They'll say that, you know, there's a lot of government money and a lot of private money. So it's subsidized really, really well. Um, they will throw out AI and probably fintech and I don't know. But but they, they don't know the, the the actual depth of it. Um, yeah. They don't understand that Uh, The the most important innovations in the world when it comes to computing, whether it is quantum computing or machine learning computing, uh, is coming from China. They don't really understand what the implications of 5G actually are and why other countries, especially the United States, are so scared that China is now leading the world in 5G.
0: Well, that's that's why I asked about it because, I mean, you could have a very interesting, look, a lot of like B2C companies want to have a B2B business line. Because the economics are simply better um, in, in many ways. And it would seem like a big opportunity to, to be able to take the on-the-ground understanding. There's a ton of people that don't know as much as they think they know in San Francisco who, who, <laughs> who have a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know if you know this.
1: <laughs> uh, we we want to serve. Them. We want to make sure that they do know <laughs> as much as they say they know. Uh, it, you, you are right. And we are fortunate that we have put our resources into uh, into this expertise. Listen, China is unique because it is so important, and yet it is still a closed information ecosystem. And there are not a lot of people who can properly extract and properly parse and properly distribute the information within China to the rest of the world. And we happen to be able to do that because we've been doing it for a hundred plus years. Uh, and so now, with the internet, we actually have a have an opportunity to package it properly and Mm-hmm. And monetize
0: it. So, I mean, just to to close on this, I mean, if South China Morning Post was operating in mainland China, it couldn't operate in mainland China. Not the way at all it o- operates, right? So, the long the longest term, just to sort of completely circle back, the the longest term risk is that Hong Kong becomes just China. If isn't it? Because I mean, you yeah. can't like. What would be the 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 point of of South China Morning Post? If it's just like if Hong Kong becomes like another Shanghai, just smaller.
1: If the laws of this city and the judiciary that protects those laws change to the point where there is no longer press freedoms in the city, the South China Morning Post will change. Uh, and I think that would be a very, very sad day for the city. It'll be a very sad day, of course, for, for the Post. And it'll be an unfortunate day for the world because I think the world needs to understand China fully. Uh, and and, and you know, I, I do believe that the Post is playing a huge part in that right now.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I guess the hope is that, that you know, it's actually on the mainland Chinese government and all the different parties in that it's, it's in their interests. Yeah, It's always been sort of in their interest to have Hong Kong be its own sort of thing. Those are things are changing a little bit, but um, we'll see.
1: I, as, a, as a news organization, we have confidence in our people and the convictions that run the news organization. The power our company, uh, we have confidence in our city as well, and so I I don't expect that any of those things will change anytime soon. So the post is going to be here for a while, uh, and and we're going to continue doing what we're doing, Uh, and so I'm I'm very glad for that.
0: Okay, Gary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I know it's late, it's 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 at night there, so thank you for that too.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian.
0: Okay, thank you all for joining us. We'll be back next week with a new episode.